The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you, a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> the first reading today is one of my, my favorite readings from Jeremiah because I think what it really tells us is in very, very plain terms, it's like God is in your life fruitfulness and like wonderfulness and lavishness god not in your light desolation and a lava waste is one of the terms it uses it's like desolation consolation it's one of the best readings for just a great description with god in your life consolation god not in your life desolation and and that leads very much to the fact that it it is this life the time that we have on earth where we we believe that's where we build up our belief and we actually practice our belief in God. Because you see in the situation with Lazarus, the situation there is that after the fact, once things are fixed, right? Once somebody is, is essentially in the place of hell and once somebody is on that other side, it's just like, oh, okay, well, I was dumb in my life on earth, so I want to warn my family members to not be as dumb as I am, right? And, and we often try to do that while we're still living, right? We make a lot of mistakes when we're young, and then we get older and we know better, and we try to prevent those who are younger than us from making those mistakes. But unfortunately, in this particular case, this is after his life. So there's no opportunity to do that. 
And so what's said, it's one of the most profound things I think that we hear in the Gospels, is just that if this person did not believe in life, if all of the things that I have given you through the people that I have worked through, through Moses, through the prophets, through, you know, again, eventually Jesus, right? He says, neither should somebody rise from the dead. They won't believe them either. And of course, that's in fact what Jesus ends up doing. And so if everything that God has sent us to reveal himself on earth, if you don't believe in that, um, you're not going to believe, <laughs> nothing's going to change your mind. It's actually the, the definition, really, of, of obstinacy. And so often what's said, some, you know, some saints, uh, mystics, have kind of alluded to the fact that the idea that we're all going to face Jesus as our judge. So whether you believe that Jesus is really God or not, you're either going to be pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly surprised when he's standing there at the end in judgment, because he's going to be standing there no matter what you believed on this earth. And so for those of us who believe in him and truly worship him and love him, when we see him there, that's, that's, that'll be our greatest attraction. The thing that we always try to draw closer to on this earth will be standing right there, and we'll finally have that true fulfillment. But if he's not there, that same kind of obstinacy that somebody lived their life with on earth, it, it'll remain with them. That's why we often say the, the judgment really comes from us drawing close to God or us pulling away from him. Not so much him saying like, nope, you know, you, you don't pass. <laughs> you know, you, you don't get in. But it's that people will be face to face with God and they will still turn the other way. They will still be completely obstinate to him. So they'll actually choose hell rather than choose God. And, and, and they, that pattern was set, though, in their life. While they were living on this earth, they were always choosing other things over him. And again, during this period of Lent, the thing that we always try to remind ourselves of is, is, is again, the removing of obstacles to make certain sacrifices and willingly give something up so that we make space for the Lord in our life. It's, it's a reminder every single year of that. I think this is one thing that really changed my life is starting to live my life a lot more in accord to the, our liturgical calendar, in a way. It's, a, it's quite brilliant once you start doing that, right? Because there are times of fasting, and there's times of intense prayer, and there's times of feasting, and joy, and happiness, and celebration. And then there, you know, there's a whole chunk where things are fairly, what would we say, ordinary time, right? They're fairly ordinary, they're fairly neutral, and everything. We still worship, we still have our practices. But to live in, in rhythm with the church is actually a great gift to us. That, that calendar the church gives us is a truly a great gift. Um, and then as a reminder of, of these realities out in the world with how much faith has been lost, you know, as we celebrate St. Patrick, the great thing that he really did, even all the other things that people like to talk about that he did, the real great thing he did was his evangelization, his ability to actually spread the Christian faith. That's, that's what's so great. That's what made him the great patron of Ireland. And the thing that we have to realize about that now, though, is recently um, one of our seminarians, Justin Echeverria, and, and the other seminarians who were studying in Rome went on pilgrimage with Archbishop Sample after their exam period, which is like mid-February or so. And they, and they went to Ireland. They went to go see uh, 
the, the area of Our Lady of Knock, where the apparitions were there in, in Knock, Ireland. And then they also got to spend time with the Benedictine monks who, um, that were responsible for the book Encino Jesu, who some of you have probably read before. So they were with, uh, with those monks for a little while. And Archbishop Sample told us that in the entire country of Ireland, they have 20 seminarians currently. 20, from one of the most Catholic places in the entire world at one point in life, there are 20 seminarians. In our archdiocese, just the archdiocese of Portland, we have probably currently about 27 or so. You know, there's always a couple in the works, you know, sort of in flux right there. That's just staggering to see that that's how much loss of, of, of belief has happened out there in the world. And so um, I know many of you here actually promote vocations, but I think that this is another reminder that here on earth, we have to raise, you know, men and then also women in religious life that are willing to bolster up, their, up the faith. Uh, again, yeah, I wasn't even going to do this, but now it's just coming to me. But again, I said yesterday, so Thomas leaves us for the monastery very, very soon, within a matter of days. One of the things that we remember that's so important about monastic life and religious life is that there, there are people removed from the world, devoted to prayer for the world. That's one of the things that happens in a monastery, is when they pray the liturgy of the hours, their whole entire rhythm of life is around those offices of prayer. And so Father Carey and I promised to pray the liturgy hours as well as, as Deacon Chuck did. But when you're in the monastery, there's, there's a deeper devotion to that reality, that you pray in community with, with your brethren that whole entire time that you're there. And think about a whole world where there's far fewer people doing that. And then there was a world at one point where there were so many religious that these prayers were constantly being lifted up into heaven. Masses celebrated all over the world, constant liturgy of the hours being prayed. And now when there's fewer prayers actually be lifting, being lifted up to God, we sort of get the, certain, the, the situation that we're in now. So we need to continue to pray for, for vocations, but that happens in our community. It happens in our home. And that's even more important, you know, because I can talk about it, but again, I'm still this weird priest wearing weird vestments, and, you know, a 10-year-old boy looks at me, and he's just like, I don't know if I want to do that for the rest of my life, right? It's sometimes it doesn't click till later in your life that there, there's a great and profound reality to that. But, but in your homes, if you cultivate that prayer, then it, it can be really different. Uh, Father Kerry grew up praying the daily rosary. I, I didn't have that devotion. Thank God, God sort of got me later. Sometimes I say, you know, some of us were called from a very young age to be priests, and some of us became fishermen, and then were later reassigned. And that was sort of a little bit my life, right? But it does show you, there was uh, Father Patrick Payton, what did he say? The family that prays together stays together, right? And, uh, and I see, we just had Joe Graziano's funeral, and he emulated that. You know, he, he, he built rosaries for 20 years, and they prayed the daily rosary in his family. And, and there were many people here at his funeral. And he even built 50 rosaries for those who attended his funeral. And 50 rosaries for each of his children so that when their funerals come, that they could hand them out at their funeral. That is forward thinking about a life of eternity, right? That's a very, very rare thing. But it doesn't have to be. 
right? It doesn't have to be. God bless you all.